This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly sermon podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's sermon. Good morning. It's a wonderful day to be at church. We're so glad that you are here. If I didn't get a chance to meet you on the way in, I'll be hanging out in the lobby on the way out. My name is Ron. And over the next few minutes, I'm going to be speaking to you uh, from God's Word uh, about uh, a day in the life of Jesus. And uh, for those of you who are new to New Life, let me give you a couple of things to do while I uh, speak a few words here. On the inside of your program, you'll find some fill-in-the-blank sermon notes. Uh, Those will help you listen. Um, The the people of this church regularly take those home and uh, pray through them and apply them in their lives. And so if, if you want to do that, we would just invite you on that journey. Because above all, we want to allow you, we want to encourage you to allow God to speak into your life this morning. Because uh, what I'm going to be sharing with you is not just my thoughts or opinions. Uh, it's These are events from the life of Jesus and lessons uh, that are straight from His Word. And uh, these are the things that change our lives. And above all, church should be a place where our lives are changed, where we encounter God, where we connect with God, and in that process have our lives changed. So we invite you along on that journey. Now, we're talking about um, nine days in the life of Jesus, and these are just simply events that took place on nine different days of Jesus' life. And in fact, on this day that we're going to look at today, there are actually two major events that took place in Jesus' life. And they speak into our lives for a number of reasons. Um, all of us encounter interruptions. I was just thinking as we were watching the video a few minutes ago, um, major interruption in life. Not just for the men and women who enlisted and ultimately gave their lives, but that became a major interruption in the lives of their parents, of their wives, of their husbands, of their children. Major interruptions. And then after we saw the video, we took communion. Major interruption in heaven. For any time God leaves heaven and comes to earth, that's a major interruption. It's a big, big deal. And you and I don't get to choose the interruptions in our lives. In fact, this message probably will have the greatest impact on those of us that the, the people around us would call sequential. You know the people with the well-organized and well-planned daytimer? That all the events are all written in there? And you ask us, what are we doing tomorrow? And we reach for our daytimer or we reach for our Blackberry and we pull it out and we say, oh, I see, at 9.30 I'm doing this, 10.30 I'm doing this, noon I'm doing this, 3 o'clock I'm doing this. It's all planned out. We've got it all. I mean, there's no such thing as a day that we get up in the morning and we don't know what we're going to do. You know, the interesting thing about interruptions is they're never on our calendar. That's why they're called interruptions. And you know, Jesus had them. And one of the, one of the ways that we can allow Jesus to speak into our lives is by looking at how he handled the everyday situations of life. You can go to your local Christian bookstore and you can buy a little charm for your bracelet or, or, or any number of little mementos and they have four initials on them, WWJD. 
And for those who, who choose to do that, it's a great thing because what it stands for is what would Jesus do? And I'm of a mind to believe that when you encounter an interruption in your life, and I've noticed this about my life because I tend to be one of those sequential people, that when interruptions come, they have a way of bringing to the surface the ugliness of my life. I mean, these are not easy to deal with. And they can, uh, boy, if there's ever a time when we're going to cop an attitude, it can be at an interruption, at an interruption in life. Those moments, perhaps the best thing that we could do is just pause, take a breath, and ask ourselves, what would Jesus do if he were encountering this situation? How would he respond? What would be the attitude that he would choose? And then begin to walk in that. And that's why we study the life of Jesus, because he's the only perfect human being to have ever lived, and that means that every detail of his life is worthy of our study. It's also worthy of our following. And so that's, that's the challenge that the Lord would give us today, is to watch Jesus handle these interruptions and watch him turn what could have been chaos into wonder. So I invite you on that journey. Let's take a look here at life interrupted. <clears throat> Luke chapter 7 begins, verse 2 begins like this. At that time the highly valued slave of a Roman officer was sick and near death. And when the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. So they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. Now, there are going to be six lessons that I want to teach you this morning. And and the first is going to come out of this passage. You see, in that passage, there are four people, no less than four, who have had their lives interrupted. First of all, there's the slave. His life was interrupted by sin, I mean by sickness, and it wasn't just any sickness. It wasn't just, oh, I don't feel good today. It wasn't, I have a hangnail. This guy was dying Okay, I'll guarantee you that if that slave had a calendar and you pulled up his daytimer or his Blackberry, it did not say on this day, get sick. Okay, The only time you ever see that on anybody's calendar is if they're a golfer like me and they want to go on Friday. Right? I shouldn't confess that, right? Okay, all right. Yeah. But this guy's life was interrupted by major sickness. The second person who had his life interrupted was the Roman officer because it says he was a highly valued slave. Typically, that would mean that this was the guy that was in charge of his entire household. So he ordered all the food that had to be ordered. He made sure it was all prepared correctly. He paid all of his of the Roman officer's build, bills. Uh, he made sure the house was clean. He made sure the property was well taken care of. He was the guy who was in charge of everything that took place in that household. Typically, that's what the highly valued slave would be. Well, guess what? When that guy in your household gets sick, guess who has to take care of all that stuff? Yeah, he does. At a minimum, he's got to find somebody else who can do that guy's job, and he probably doesn't have anybody who could step right in, so part of it's going to fall to him. So now his life is interrupted because his key servant is now sick. 
Well, guess what? He goes and finds the Jewish elders, knocks on their door and says, Can I interrupt your day? I have a very urgent request. So whatever these guys were going to do in that day, it has to get set aside because now this Roman officer is coming to their house because he has a special request. So guess what they do? (laughs) They go find Jesus and they interrupt his day. You know, I've noticed this in life. Interruptions tend to beget interruptions. Have you noticed that? If my wife's day gets interrupted, guess who else's day gets interrupted? Mine. Okay? If my day gets interrupted, somehow it spills over into her life. If one of the staff members from the church, if their life gets interrupted, it spills over into mine. If my life gets interrupted, it spills over into theirs. It's part of living in community. And so here you see four people whose lives were interrupted. What were they interrupted by? Well, it all started when one guy got very deathly ill. Now, if you were to interview any of those people at the beginning of that day and ask them, do you think this will be a day when great blessing flows into your life? Is that the recipe you would normally use for blessing? Let's just fill the day with interruptions and everybody will have a great time. Probably not. And yet, lesson number one is this. Oftentimes, God's blessings flow into our lives in seasons and in ways that we don't expect. Now, two or three weeks ago, we talked about getting outside the box and looking outside the box and, and, and how well Jesus taught us that in life. And I just want to say to you this morning, it, it's just the, the, the other side of that principle And that is, if the only place you ever look for God's blessings are when everything is going well in your life, then you're going to miss some of God's greatest blessings because they often flow into our lives at times we least expect and in ways that we least expect and from sources that we might least expect. And that's what makes walking with God such a great adventure. Because in many ways, it's the least predictable of anything that you'll do in life. Now, the story continues like this. The Jewish elder said, now, if anyone deserves help, he does. For he loves the Jewish people and even built a synagogue for us. Now, you'd have to be a great student of history to understand all that's going on in that tiny little verse. But I want you to jump inside history with me for just a minute and recognize that for a century prior to this event, for more than a century, there has been nothing but hostility and anger and animosity between the Jews and the Romans. For the Romans were from Italy and they had come all the way across the Mediterranean Sea and they had invaded the land of Israel and they had conquered it and subjected the people to heavy taxes and subjected them to some very demanding principles. For instance... If a Roman soldier said to a Jewish person, Galia, I'm really tired. How about you taking this big bag of mine and carrying it with me for the next mile? I'm going that direction. If you were a Jew, you couldn't look at him and say, but sir, my home is that direction. That's the way I'm going. Or sir, I'm on the way to a wedding. It was, I'm sorry. 
But the law says, if I want you to carry my bag a mile, you carry it a mile. So hike it up and get going, buddy, because now you're going that way for the next mile. And there was nothing they could do about it. Now, probably all of you have heard of the concept of going the second mile. You might not have known that was a Christian concept, but it comes out of that setting where Jesus said, now I'm telling you, if you want to follow me and you want to find richness in life, if someone asks you to carry their bag one mile, I say, go the second mile, go two. But you know, that was tough to live under. Now we find a very unusual statement in this passage. It says that this Roman officer loved the Jewish people. Well, you talk about a breath of fresh air in, a, in, a, in, a, in an arrangement that stunk. That, that was a breath, breath of fresh air. You know, this guy probably wasn't born and raised in Israel. More than likely, he was born and raised in some other country, enlisted in the Roman army, and was stationed hundreds, maybe even 1,500 or 2,000 miles from his home. He didn't get to be with any of his family. He didn't get to hang out with his friends. He was stuck with a bunch of other Roman soldiers who were all stationed hundreds of miles away from their homeland. And you know something? That didn't call for very good attitudes most of the time. But here comes a guy who walks into this setting and for whatever reason looks at these people that it's his job to keep in line. He looks at them and he decides that he would love them. Wow. And he looks around and he says, what do they need? Because you know that's one of the first things that love does. It looks for needs. And he finds out that in this town, there is no synagogue, which would be the rough equivalent of a church building, but a church building for Jews. And so he musters up his Roman troops and he said, guess what, guys? We are going to build a synagogue for the local Jews. You think that might have been a hard sell? Hey, well, I didn't enlist in the army to build a church building, especially for a bunch of Jews. But he convinced them, and they built a synagogue for those people. What a loving thing to do. What a kind thing to do. Now here's the lesson. The lesson is this, that kindness influences others to be kind. Even sometimes across great societal barriers. You know, here are two groups of people who are finding a way to cross the racial barrier. Wow. Here are two groups of people who are finding a way across what was a socioeconomic barrier, the ruling class from those who are being ruled. You know, it's just amazing to find these people working together. It's kindness that will do that. You know, I have a challenge for you and a challenge for me. Every day that we get up, we live our lives, we influence people around us. It would be good for you and me to ask ourselves at the end of each day, did my life influence others toward kindness or away from it? 
just by interacting with me. You know, if you have a judgmental spirit and you're critical, do you influence people to be kind? Probably not. On the other hand, if you have a loving and accepting spirit, then it's it's amazing how it softens the spirits and the hearts of those around you. Well, here was a guy, as unlikely as it seems, who walked into the middle of a volatile situation and a few years down line, what was a volatile situation is now a situation of love and kindness. What a powerful testimony. No wonder Jesus said some very kind things about this man as we read on in the story because kindness influences others to be kind almost regardless of the circumstance. Now the story goes on like this. So Jesus went with them, but just before they came, they arrived at the house. The officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I am not worthy of such an honor. I'm not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I'm under authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go, and they go, come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And when the officer's friend returned, friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. What a great story. You know, you know what I see going on in this particular story is the tendency that we all have to kind of paint with a broad brush. We look at somebody and by the clothes that they wear or the car that they drive or the house that they live in or by their ethnic background or, or who, who knows, by the title that they have in the workplace, uh, the position that they have, or whether they own the company or whether they're white collar or blue collar. We have all these different ways that we tend to paint people with the broad brush. And when we do that, we tend, first of all, to add to the stress of our own lives. Because when you look at someone and you judge them by their appearance and by their appearance you convince yourself that they are probably not trustworthy, you force yourself then to have to raise your guard and keep your guard up the whole time you interact with them because you have already predetermined that they are not trustworthy. Do you know that they're not? No, you've just painted them with the broad brush. Well, that adds stress to your life. There's another way in which it adds stress to our lives because we look at some people and they're neatly dressed or they get out of a nice car or they live in a nice home or they have, they have a nice a flattering job title or, or you know all the, the letters of their degrees behind their name. And we assume that because of these external conditions that they are trustworthy, we drop our guard only to find out they're not trustworthy and now they've really created stress in our lives because we get hurt. There's an old statement that goes like this. You shouldn't judge a book, you know the rest of it, by its... Yeah, that's where that statement came from. It came from the tendency that we have to paint people with a broad brush. 
Now, Jesus would call us to do otherwise. And, and I'm going to talk to you for a minute about a couple of things, real-life stories that, that, that come out of this church. And they're one of the reasons that I just am so delighted and thrilled to get to pastor this church. Just the other day, someone said to me, you know, Pastor, I came and visited church on Sunday morning, and I have to tell you this, I've never, ever been to a church where I felt so immediately accepted as I did there this morning. Can I tell you, that reflects the heart and the mind of Christ. Way back at the beginning of this church, when, when it was less than a year old and we were meeting over at Sonoma Mountain School and you could put the entire church all in one service right here in this center section. We were just a, a handful of people who, who God was calling to start this church. Church was about ready to begin and the worship band was, was cranking up and it was interrupted by the sound of loud motorcycles right outside the door. And sure enough, the doors came open, and here they came, all dressed in their full leathers, fresh from the Harley-Davidson motorcycles. In the language of the old King James Bible, in most churches, that would have created no small stir. But, you know, they came in. We loved them. We welcomed them. We recognized these were people created by the God, same God who had created us, just as worthy of the love of Christ as we were. And it was an amazing morning. We found out later they belonged to the Christian Motorcyclists Association. But I'll never forget what they said to me as they left that morning. They said, you know, we visit a lot of churches, but this is the first church we've ever visited that we actually felt like the people wanted us to be there. Now, part of me wanted to jump up and down and be very, very happy, and I was, because I recognized that we had represented Christ well that morning. But the other part of me was so saddened to realize that their experience in all other churches was anything less than that. Let me tell you another story, another true story. Uh, a lady that used to live here and came to church here uh, for a long time and ended up having to move away. But when she was first coming to church here, she'd been coming here, I think, three or four months at the time. And she was writing to a friend who eventually shared the story with me. And uh, she was telling her friend about this church that she had found and how excited she was about the church and how she was building and making friendships and how she was just thrilled and inspired by the worship team and challenged by the messages and all that goes into the church. And then she, she ended by saying, but the greatest thing about this church is this. I don't even think they've noticed yet that I'm black. I thought, what a powerful testimony. Because you know something? When we get it right, when Christ reigns in our heart and we live with the values and principles of Jesus, we never paint people with the broad brush. They're just people. Now here's the lesson. The lesson is this. Faith and humility 
are often found where we would least expect to find them. If you were to interview the average Jew and say, now where would you go today to find the greatest faith in all the land of Israel? Do you think anyone would have pointed to a Roman officer? No. But you know, when the day was done, the one and only person who knew the heart of every single person in the land of Israel turned to the crowd and he said, of that Roman officer, there's no one with greater faith in this whole country than that. Wow, what a powerful thing. You know what I want to say to you? That's why it's important when you invite people to church and when you invite them to your life group, be indiscriminate as you do that. Invite anybody. And the reason is, no matter how far away from God a person might appear, you never know if their heart is ready for major life change that day. And all they need is an invitation. Could happen to anybody, anywhere, at any time. Because faith, humility, seeking after the Lord are often found in people and in places where we would least expect. Now, let's go on to the rest of the story. Soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate, and the young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Would you underline that phrase, overflowed with compassion, because we're going to come back and talk about that in a minute. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it, and the bearer stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother, and great fear swept the crowd. And they praised God, saying, A mighty prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people today. I don't have time to break that whole story out for us this morning. But you know, I wrote two words in my margin. I wrote the words, great pain. You know, it's very easy to read a story like that and it all ends well and go, well, wasn't that great? Jesus gave this guy back to his mother. I want you, if you would with me, to try to jump into the skin of this lady. Like every other young Israeli girl. She grew up anticipating the day that her parents would make arrangements for her to be married because all their marriages were arranged. And on that day when her parents came to her and they said, we have great news, we have made arrangements for you to be married and we want you to meet your future husband. And she was betrothed or engaged to this young man. And they met for the first time and she looked into the eyes of the man who would be her husband and he looked into the eyes of the lady who would be his wife. And they began to make preparations for the wedding. And on the day of their wedding, they were the center of attention. It was a, it was a fabulous day for them. 
And they gathered their friends and their family around them. And in typical Jewish fashion, they had a feast and they sang and they danced and they enjoyed this great celebration. And she and her husband headed off into the future thinking life would be good. They would have many years of happy marriage. And by God's grace, He would bless them with children. And they would raise their children and their children would get married and they would, and they would hold their grandchildren. And they just, they had all the same dreams that all the rest of us have. But one day, this lady's life was interrupted with the greatest interruption anyone can know. I don't know if it was sickness or, or an accident, but she loses her husband. And all of those hopes and those dreams come crashing down. Now that would be hard enough in our culture. But in this Jewish culture, women were not allowed to work. So now she has this son from her husband and herself to support and no way to do it. She has really only two choices. She can go out and do what all the poor people do. There was there were laws in their land that when you reaped your field, you couldn't reap the corners of the field and anything that you dropped you had to leave and the poor people would come along and pick it up. So she could go out with all the rest of the poor and, and, and fight over the corners of people's property and run around and follow people and when they drop something, be the first poor person there to, to pick it up and drag it up. But friends, there's no dignity in that life. It's just existing. Or she could sit on the corner of the street with a cop and beg with a little cardboard sign that said widow. It was all she had. I'm sure she hoped that somehow arrangements could be made for her to get married again. But years passed. No marriage. Soon it became evident there would be none. This was her lot in life. She made the most of it and consoled herself in the fact that at least she had been blessed with a son. She devoted herself to raising that son, and as her son grew and developed and became a young man, she began to think, my private hell is almost done. For my son is almost raised and now he can go out and get a job and he can, and he can earn a wage and he can support me and I no longer have to be considered the poor widow who goes out and gathers in other people's fields or sits down at the corner with a cup and a cardboard sign. I can now live a life that has some dignity. And just when it's about to end, her son dies. And there's no end. It's almost impossible for us to comprehend the pain that this lady went through. So here she is, following the coffin of her dead son. And by the way, 
In that culture, they always buried people the day they died. So this son has died that day. Her grief is as fresh as it can be. And she's following the coffin of her dead son. And now she has no real hope in this life. You remember that phrase I had you underlined? Overflowed with compassion. Here's this lady walking and here approaching the town is God in the flesh. The one who created this lady. The one who knew every day of her life. He saw her eyes light up the day that she got married. He saw her eyes light up the day that she gave birth to this son. And he saw them fall the day that her husband died. And he saw her heart crushed the day that her son died. And it's as if the creator of this lady said, that's enough. I know this is the usual and normal course of things and I know I don't normally heal people who don't ask to be heal, healed and I, don't, and I know I don't normally help people unless they come to me in faith. But it's as if he looked into her heart and said, that's enough pain for any one human being and I can do something about it and I will. So Jesus did something way outside the box of, of usual and normal behavior. For you don't walk up to a funeral procession as a total stranger and interrupt it and say, can I ask everybody to stop here for a minute? But you know, Jesus walked up. And in my mind, I see Jesus walking his way through the crowd. They're all busy grieving and crying. They they. they probably haven't paid any attention. And he walks straight up to the mother, probably whose head is down, and he puts his arm around her. And he comes next to her, and he says, don't cry. Not scolding her, but speaking words of hope into her life. And there's something in her, in his voice, that tells her, I should listen. And, and leaving her, he walks up to the coffin and he says to the people carrying it to stop. And they stop. And, and we only have a summary of the story, but I would assume the coffin is closed. So he tells them to set it down and open it up. Now, that's a little unusual too, right? So they set it down, they open it up, and Jesus begins to talk to the dead guy. And he says to him, young man, I say, get up. And to everyone's astonishment, the guy sits up. And I don't know what his first words were, but I'm assuming since it was the Son of God who talked to him, he probably understood he had been raised from the dead by the Son of God. And he probably looked at Jesus and said, thank you so much. Now, can I tell you, when you go to a funeral and the corpse raises up and says, thank you very much, that's going to get somebody's attention in a hurry. And then he looks at his mother. And I want you just for a minute to look into her eyes and see what goes on in her heart. 
At first, it's disbelief. Have you ever had a moment like one of those pinch me moments where you think this can't be happening? This would be one for her. And think about the people who were carrying the coffin. And think about the other friends who were gathered around and people from that village. There's such disbelief, and yet the guy talks. And, you know, at any point, if, if she was like me, she'd think, okay, any moment he's going to lay back down dead again, right? This can't be happening. But he not only talks, he gets up out of the coffin, and Jesus presents him to his mother, takes him by the hand, and goes and walks up to his mother and says, ma'am, Here you go in God's name. Wow. There's a couple of lessons in here for us. And the first lesson is this. God's greatest blessings could come today. You know, if you interviewed any of the people in that village on that day and you interviewed anybody in that funeral procession as they were walking out of town and you were to ask them, uh, do you think the most amazing thing in the entire world is going to happen in, to you today? You'd had no takers. How can anything good come from this? Don't you understand? We're at a funeral procession. This poor lady who's already lost her husband has now lost her son. And you would dare to even think that something good could happen in this day. There's a message in there for you and me. You may have come to church this morning just hanging by a thread. And you feel like, is life really worth living? Is there any hope? Maybe you've been hurt deeply. Maybe you're going through a time in your life that's just intense struggle. Well, God would say to you, live this day in hope because this may be the day when God's greatest blessing is going to come into your life. It often does during those times. And the second thing that God would say to you is recognize that nothing you encounter is too big for God's power. Nothing you encounter is too great for God's power. I don't care what it is. No matter what burden you brought into this room today, if you will, if you will bring it under the power of God, He will begin to answer it for you. And He will begin to to either give you the strength to deal with that problem or he'll begin to remove that problem from your life because nothing you encounter is bigger than God's power. Not even death, as you see in this case. Now as we close, there's a sixth lesson that's just kind of the accumulation of all the others. And that's this. And that is God's greatest blessings flow into our lives only as we get next to Jesus. What do you, how do you think the story would have ended if the Roman officer had never talked to the Jewish elders to get them to go to Jesus so that Jesus would come to his house? <laughs> his servant would have died. He was dying before he went to Jesus. But because he would dare to come to Jesus, or in his case, even just send someone to Jesus, Once they brought Jesus' presence into the situation, it began to change. And in the case of the widow, it wasn't until Jesus' presence came into the situation that it could change. And I want to share with you that no matter what you're facing today, it's not until you get next to Jesus and you bring whatever that is into His presence that you can expect God to begin to help you deal with it. 
That all begins by making a decision to become a follower of Christ. If you've never made that decision, that would be Jesus' invitation to you today. He would say, start drawing near to me. Why? Take a look at this passage of Scripture. Now, God made the world and everything in it. That would include you and me. And since He is the Lord of heaven and earth, He doesn't live in man-made temples and, that, and human hands can't serve His needs for. Actually, God has no real needs. He Himself gives life and breath to everything, and He satisfies every need. Now, from one man, He created all the nations throughout the whole earth. And he decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determines their boundaries. Now, why did God do all that? Here's why he did. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Now, here's the really good news. Though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. Would you join me in prayer? Father, what a wonderful truth you've given to us this morning. In a day that was so filled with interruptions of all kinds, you managed to bring wonderful blessings into the lives of multiple people. Father, would you remind us that you want to do that in our lives today? And would you help us to respond to to interruptions in such a way that we see them as opportunities to receive your blessings and not just as things that get in the way of what we're trying to do. And then, Lord, I pray that you would help us bring every interruption into your presence. And through that interruption, begin to seek after you and find you. Because it's in finding you that we find a real purpose in life. For those of us, Father, who have never made the decision to become a Christian, would you give us the grace to make that decision this morning, even right now? For those who have made that decision and wandered away from it and today find themselves miles from you, God, would you help us make the decision to come back to you, to get in your presence to bring our lives into the very presence of Christ so that we can be changed. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information and past sermons, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.